this morning as we begin this new series called Sabotage. I want to do something. I don't normally do this when I begin a message, but I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes for a moment. And I'm going to ask, and I'm going to encourage you to ask, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, as we go into this message over the next couple of weeks, Holy Spirit, I ask you, speak to me. Give me ears to hear you. Lord, I believe that you wanna say some things deeply to my heart. I believe that you wanna say something deeply to the hearts of every person here. And so I ask you now, in humility, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And everyone who would agree with that, say amen. Pastor, why are you, why are you doing that? That's different. Well, I believe it's because uh, I'm doing that because I think there are some deep works that the Lord wants to do in us. I believe that the Lord wants to take us forward and there's some things that he wants us to see about ourselves that we've perhaps never seen before. How many of you have ever had an experience in life where you felt like everything or some things were conspiring against you? Like you ever had a day where you get up and you go about your day and it seems like everything from the moment your foot hits the floor is working against you? Yeah, I've had those days. I've had those weeks. I've had those months. Sometimes I've had those years. Have you ever had a person in your life, um, let's say maybe a mother-in-law, not my mother-in-law, she's unbelievable, many of you have met her, but let's just, maybe a boss, maybe a coworker, maybe a sibling. Have you ever had a person in your life who you just felt like was doing everything they could do, everything they could do to sabotage you? Maybe you don't wanna raise your hand because maybe they're here today. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it terrible to be caught in one of those relationships or one of those seasons of life where it just feels like everything is working against you and no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, it just seems like this person or situations just continue to pile up against you and you can never break free of the cycle. Anybody besides me? Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about sabotage. In fact, in fact, I believe the Bible has a lot to say about sabotage. I believe the Bible has a lot to say about how we as believers respond when we are experiencing seasons of sabotage or when we are in places in which relationships seem to exist in our life that are sabotaging us. Just so we're all on the same page because it's possible that when we say sabotage, some of us may think different things. So for the sake of this series of messages, when we talk about sabotage, we're just taking a purely, uh, a purely, a pure definition from the dictionary of sabotage to sabotage means to deliberately damage, destroy, or obstruct. You ever experienced that? We all on the same page. Where something or somebody just seems to deliberately be damaging, destroying, 
are obstructing forward movement in your life. Like I said, I believe the Bible has a lot to say about sabotage, and we're going to visit different places in Scripture. We're going we're to primarily hang out in one book of the Bible, but there are a lot of passages and a lot of stories in the Bible that either directly or indirectly deal with sabotage, and we're going to visit some of those because I want you to build a, a theology or a framework from which we move out of this series into the rest of your life, and you're able to deal with sabotage as you confronted because here's the reality the reality as first peter chapter 5 verse 8 is this that you and i are to be sober minded we're to be watchful because our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour you have an enemy i have an enemy and he hates us you have an enemy I have an enemy and he's doing everything he can to conspire against you. I am a self-admitted tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist. It's okay, laugh at me. I, I am fascinated by, I think it's funny, I think it's interesting to read all the different conspiracy theories out there and that have been out there through history. I think it's interesting, I think it's funny, I believe I'm at a healthy, mental, emotional enough place in my life that I can entertain those things and I can chew on it and spit out the bones and I find it refreshing and entertaining. But I'll tell you, when you start doing a deep dive on those things, it can if you're not careful, you can get to a place where you're just like seeing the boogeyman around every corner, right? Anybody besides me? Oh, come on. You're telling me when COVID broke out, you weren't on the computer figuring out, oh, is the world? It wasn't just me. I've seen some of your WhatsApp chains that you're on, right? You have to be really careful with those things because you can start seeing, I mean, everything. You can be like, oh my goodness, it's a conspiracy. Well, here's the thing. As believers, we do understand there is a conspiracy against our soul. We do have an enemy, and it is serious business. We can laugh about those things. We can take lightly or take seriously those things that exist in, in our lives. But in reality, in the spirit world, there is a conspiracy against you. There is an enemy. He hates you. He's doing everything he can to destroy you. In the Bible... There are several occasions in which people come to understand that there is a spiritual conspiracy against their lives, that there is an enemy, and he is doing everything that he can to sabotage them. And we're going we're gonna to look at some of those closely, but we're, gonna, we're going to look very, very closely at the Apostle Paul, and we're going to sort of do a deep dive into 2 Corinthians over the next couple of weeks. Now, we've uh, we've taught you here at North Place and we've learned together that we read our Bibles in context that we don't just pick verses of scripture out and build a theology or put a bumper sticker on our car. But instead, when we, when we study scripture, we study scripture in context to really, to really mine from it and grow from it. We need to understand what it's talking about. And so we're gonna hang out primarily in 2 Corinthians over the next couple of weeks. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you as I, as I often do, you can go to the Bible Project 
thebibleproject.com, and you can actually watch a, a, a it's an eight-minute video that sort of gives you an overview of, of the book of 2 Corinthians, and I would strongly encourage you to do that. In fact, I would encourage you to use uh, the Bible Project app in your life as you're doing your daily 20, and to, uh, and to go there, and when you get into a book of the Bible to go, there's short little videos there that will always give you context of the book of the Bible that you're reading from, and it's really an easy thing that you can incorporate into your daily devotional life, into your daily 20. So over the next couple of weeks, I would encourage you to read 2 Corinthians because we're going to do a deep dive. As we move through this together, we're going to learn some things about sabotage, and this is, the, this is it. I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell so you have it, and it sort of guides our conversation. To overcome sabotage, I must approach it from a place of humility. I have to recognize its source and respond with a renewed mind. I believe as you study the epistles or the letters that Paul wrote, he shows us and demonstrates to us how to respond to and how to overcome sabotage because he himself was constantly dealing with sabotage like the other apostles and followers of Jesus and everyone who's been a follower of God. He was dealing with an enemy who hated him, who wanted to destroy him, and he continually demonstrated how to respond to sabotage. He did so by, by doing this, by approaching it from a place of humility, by recognizing its source, and by responding with a renewed mind. So we're going to look at that quickly. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 to you today. It says this, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. I'm going to read that again because it's so Important for you to understand. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, although I'm a human being with a mortal body, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. As I mentioned to you, when we... When we study scripture, we don't just grab a verse of scripture out and make it mean whatever we want to mean. It's important to understand the context. When you look at 2 Corinthians, what you need to understand is that Paul is writing a letter to a church that he had founded. He had planted this church some time ago. And after planting this church, he had left after several years and gone on to plant other churches and he wrote letters to them to encourage them. Now, 
we're reading from the book of 2 Corinthians, but it's important that you understand that this really isn't the second letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. In fact, it's at least the third letter that we know that he had written to them. Because as I mentioned, he had founded the church he left the church, there was some issues going on in the church, and he wrote the first letter to them that we know as 1 Corinthians. He had visited them, and there were people who, there were people who rejected the instructions that he had given them when he wrote them 1 Corinthians. There were people who, was rebelling, who were rebelling against the correction that he had brought to them. And so as a result of that, things had become tense in his relationship. Although he was the apostle and the founder of the church, there were people in the church that were rebelling. And so between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there was a a really tense time in which Paul had come back to visit the church at Corinth to try to straighten out some of these things. And as he had done this, uh, and, or excuse me, he had written this second letter to them to bring this correction to them, it, it was a, a letter of sorrow. In fact, it was a tense letter that he had wrote. And so in what we call 2 Corinthians, which is the third letter, he refers to the fact that he had had to write this letter of correction to them. And so you gotta understand the relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth was really tense. And what particularly had happened was there were people who had risen up in the church at Corinth and they, they started rejecting Paul's authority as the apostle in the church. They started rejecting him and basically were saying, there's nothing very impressive about this guy. Why should we listen to what he has to say? Why should we submit to the correction that he brings to us? And in this rebellion, it had broken relationship. And so this letter, this 2 Corinthians, which was the third letter, I know it's confusing, that Paul wrote to them, the reason he wrote it was to try to bring reconciliation into their relationship. Because some of the people after his second letter started saying, look, you know what, we need to... We need to listen to what Paul is saying to us. His correction is correct. And so they had started humbling their hearts. And so this third letter really was a response because Paul wanted to come back there, but he didn't want to go back if things were, everybody was going to be fighting because they were fighting with Paul, but they were fighting with one another. And so Paul writes in the first part of the book, he's giving them some really good theology. And then he's dealing with a second part of the book in which uh, they had promised an offering to Jerusalem to the people who were going hungry and they hadn't really fulfilled that promise. And so they're in the middle of the book. He talks a little bit about, hey, we're, we're needing to collect those monies that you had promised. And in fact, Meredith read from it in uh, the verse that she uh, shared today about generosity. And then you get into this last part of the book and it's a part in which Paul begins to defend himself. So now we start to understand what the controversy is. See, here's what was happening. There were these people, and it's funny because Paul refers to them as the super apostles. That's the term that he used for them. There are these people, these super apostles, that have come to the church at Corinth, and they are undermining my leadership. And they're saying bad things about me. They're saying, look at that guy. He's not very impressive. He's so boisterous and he's so powerful when he writes letters to you. But when you see him, he's frail and he's weak. They were making fun of him physically. They were making fun of what he looked like. They were making fun of how he spoke. He doesn't have a pastor voice. He doesn't have a power apost powerful apostolic voice. When he, when he talks, he sounds like a sniveling idiot. 
It's basically what they were saying. He doesn't sound educated. He doesn't sound powerful. He's not a good speaker. So they were making fun of the way he talked. They were making fun of the way he looked. They basically said, he's not very impressive. So why should we submit to him? Why should we listen to him? Is he really even an apostle? Should he really even have any authority in this church? And so the controversy that was existing there in 2 Corinthians, as Paul was trying to deal with other stuff that was going on in this church, is that his authority was being undermined. And so when we see 2 Corinthians and we see Paul writing this letter, what he's basically doing is beginning to try to defend himself because there was this group of people who were sabotaging his leadership. They were doing everything they could to undermine him. Is he really an apostle? Is he really a leader? What he, had, what he has to say, does it really even matter in our lives? So Paul says, and we get to in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, let me, let me begin to respond to this. And I believe that Paul shows us a pattern that exists over and over and over again in Scripture of how we respond when we're being sabotaged. How we respond when things are happening in our lives, when things are happening in our lives to undermine who we are or what we're supposed to be. Now, Desiree and I, uh, many, many years ago, we went through uh, security training. So we went to a training where we travel a lot. And so we were, we went to this training where we were taught how to respond if we deal with an attack or we, we deal with a situation in which, uh, you know, someone were to try to uh, physically assault us or something like that. And uh, we went to this training. It was a room like this. There were quite a few people in the room and they would call people up and they would do these demonstrations of what you do in these situations. And it just so happened that they chose Desiree and I for one of the illustrations. You know, are you, have you ever been in classes like that and you're trying not to make eye contact because you don't want to be the one? That was, that was us. Uh, but for whatever reason, the guy picked us, called us up on stage and... Um, The scenario was that Desiree and I were together and someone was physically attacking us and and the, the, the whole thing was, how are you going to respond? And so we're standing and it was literally, I was, we were on this side of the stage, the guy was there and he started coming at us. So immediately I did what every big, strong, powerful man would do. I stepped in front of my wife and I bowed up. All tiny, small part of me, like I, and this is a big, giant guy, like I was going to be able to do anything. But my instinct, I didn't even think about it. My instinct was to step in front of my wife and be the big, strong man and to protect her. My instinct was to bow up and to respond to the attacker, right? And so... Fortunately for me, the guy kind of, you know, came and then he stopped and then he began to instruct us. And, and he began to explain that in a situation like that, the best, the best thing that I could have done in that situation was not to try to fight back against the attacker if I really wanted to protect 
Desra, the best thing that I could have done would have been to turn and would have been to cover her and to begin to just embrace her and cover over her so any attack that would come, it would, it would come through me. And that would have been the best thing in this scenario. It was a revelation for me because my instinct, my instinct was to bow up, was to fight back. Some of you don't have little man syndrome like I do, so maybe that's not your instinct. But in my life, my instinct is that when somebody comes at me, I'm, I'm going to bow up. Anybody but me. Okay, there's a few. The rest of you are chickens. You run. I understand. <laughs> Our instinct in the natural, is that when we are sabotaged, when we are attacked, when someone comes at us, our instinct is not to respond, get this, our instinct is not to respond in humility. Our instinct is to bow up. Our instinct is that when you speak against me, what am I gonna do? I'm now gonna speak against you. Our instinct is when you attack me, now I'm going to attack you. Our instinct is that when you come at me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at you. Paul says, I, Paul, wants to make sure they know it's him speaking. May entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It's so crazy to me. You can't help but study scripture and specifically study Jesus and not see and not see clearly and obviously that Jesus' response to attack, that Jesus' display of strength came through weakness. That Jesus' display of strengthness what wasn't to match strength with strength, but was to demonstrate his strength through surrender. Demonstrate his strength by saying, you know what, my power is bigger and greater. I don't need to match your strength, but instead I'm going to show you strength through meekness. I'm going to show you strength through gentleness. See, here's the thing, friend. When you and I deal with sabotage in our life, our first response has to be to follow the pattern of Jesus. Over and over and over again, the Bible teaches us that our response to the situations that we face in our life cannot be the same response that people who do not have the spirit of the living God living inside of them respond with. In other words, I don't respond to attack the same way that somebody who doesn't love Jesus responds to attack. I don't respond. There's something about the wisdom that exists inside of me. There's something about the power that exists inside of me that causes me to not respond in my natural instinct to attack, but to instead have a holy wisdom that causes me to do something that wouldn't come natural to me. 
When the guy came at me, my natural response was to bow up. It didn't make sense because in that situation, in that scenario, matching his body to my body, I would have never won. But if I did something that didn't come natural to me, if I used wisdom that was beyond the situation, I would have better handled it by covering my spouse. See, I couldn't do that in the natural because I would have responded in my instinct. It took someone who was outside of my instinct to give me a response that was wiser. Humility causes me to have the ability to step out of the emotion of the moment and respond with a wisdom that does not belong to me. Humility gives me the capacity in a moment to respond with a wisdom that does not naturally exist inside of me. And that's only a work of the Holy Spirit. When you're dealing with sabotage, when I'm dealing with sabotage, and here's the thing, sabotage will come your way. It will come my way. When I'm dealing with sabotage and you're dealing with sabotage, our first response has to be to respond like Jesus. Paul says, now listen, this is a real issue. We're, we're taking a case study from Paul's life and we're looking very closely at it. He says, I beg of you, I beg of you. Hear my heart. When I come, when I come to you, don't make, don't make me come to you and respond in harshness. Hear my heart. I beg of you when, when I'm present, I, may, I don't want to have to show boldness. I don't want to have to respond with strength to strength. Because of our relationship, because of our commonality in Christ, listen, let, let, that, let that be reserved for some other scenario, uh, some other situation. I want to respond not according to my flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war in the flesh. What does that mean in your everyday life? Do we really believe that as believers? And we, we got it in the Bible, right? It's there I don't wage war in the flesh. I do spiritual warfare. But when that car cuts me off, I'm going to let them know about it. I don't, I don't wage war in the flesh, but when the business deal goes sideways, I'm sure going to let them know who I am. I'm going to pull out that contract and make sure they read it right. interesting to me how often things exist in scripture and we say we believe stuff but we live another way we say we do war in the spirit but we we live like we're doing war in the flesh we communicate with one another like we are doing war in the flesh we interact with one another we behave with one another after the flesh Paul says listen in this situation in which I am completely being undermined in my leadership I am not gonna I will not stoop to the level of doing war in the flesh I'm gonna do war in the spirit for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but 
have divine power to destroy strongholds. There's something about the response of humility. There's something about the response of humility that positions us with the capacity to destroy strongholds. I don't, I don't know how you perceive the world around you, but I've got a list that I'm bringing to the Lord every day of strongholds. These are things that seem so big and great beyond my ability to do anything about them that I'm saying, Lord, if you don't show up in this situation, it's hopeless. I've got some relationships. I've got some business dealings. I've got, I, I look, I mentioned it earlier in prayer. I look at load shedding in our power situation in this country. I look at corruption. I look at some different things and I say, God, in my mind, I've got no natural answer to these things. It's a stronghold. If you don't show up, nothing changes. Paul says in these areas where it seems like there's no way to change what's happening in these strongholds, our warfare cannot be in the natural, but instead our warfare must be in the spirit. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And, and get this, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I want to help you today because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help all of us today. You are not a slave to your thoughts. You are a slave to Jesus. You are not a slave to every reaction, to every attack, to every circumstance that comes in your life unless you choose to be. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're only a slave to those things that you're willing to submit to, including your mind. Sir, lust only rules in your life to the degree that you allow it to. Ma'am, grief, hear me, Know that I love you, but this is true. Grief only defines you to the degree that you allow it to. Paul said, I take every thought that enters my mind and I make it captive. I choose to take responsibility for my thinking. Listen, thoughts are gonna come knocking at your door, but you don't have to answer. Imaginations are going to come knocking at your door, but you don't have to answer. Offense is going to come knocking at your door. I promise you, because you have an enemy who hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy every part of your life. So he's going to send people your way who are going to say things that are going to tick you off. He's going to send people your way who are going to say things that are going to hurt you and wound you and demean you and destroy credit you. He's going to send people your way. He's going to use them because he wants to do everything he can to disrupt your life. But it is your choice whether or not you open the door and invite them in. It's your choice what you entertain, sir. It's your choice 
what you entertain, ma'am. You're offended because you choose to be offended. Oh, you don't understand. They're sabotaging me. You don't understand. They're working against me. You don't understand. They hate me. No, I do understand. But are you going to allow it to define you? Because so far in your life, you're allowing it to define you. And because you're allowing it to define you, you haven't moved any further. And you blame them and you blame the devil, but you're still living in bondage. Where's it getting you? Paul said, I don't have to stay in this place. These people, look, you got to understand, this dude had planted this church. He had sacrificed his life. You go read 2 Corinthians. He went there and didn't take a salary. He worked another job the entire time so that, other people, so that that church could move forward. These super apostles came into Corinth and they would preach and they would hold these crusades and they would take big offerings. They would manipulate the people they would do everything they could to milk the people for money and because they put on a big show and a big fanfare people were just following them around because people wanted the magic show more than they wanted Jesus and Paul said I didn't do that to you and this is the way that you're treating me but here's the deal Paul says I won't allow that to hold captivity in my mind instead I'll take that thought captive because I'm not going to allow what you've done to me to define me I'm not going to allow your abandonment. I'm not going to allow the way you've treated me. I'm not going to allow the way that you've spoken about me, the thoughts and things that you've entertained from other people, the thoughts that you've agreed with, that you've sat around and talked about and laughed about, the mockery that you've been a part of. Paul says, I won't allow those things to define me. I'm going to take every thought captive. Why? To obey Christ. I told you as we started the year. I said, I've, I have a word for us for this year. What was the word? Obedience. What does obedience mean? Oh, obedience means that I do what God wants me to do. But, but so what? What does that mean in my everyday life? Here's what it means. The Lord has a way for you, even in the way you think, not obedience in, I go to church, I tithe. Yeah, all those things are wonderful, but at some point, it's gotta get past those basic things and it's gotta start affecting my everyday life, my Monday through Saturday. It's gotta start affecting, it even affects my thought life. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, I can't, I can't be obedient to God if my thought life is out of control. See, when I started this service and I was asking you about the people who are sabotaging you or the things that are sabotaging you, all of our minds immediately started going to other people and other places and other circumstances. But can I tell you, can I tell you the person that the devil uses the most to sabotage you? It's you. It's not your wife. It's not your husband, it's not your grandma, it's not your mother-in-law, it's not your mean boss. The person the enemy is using the most to sabotage you is you. That's why Paul says in the very beginning, in humility, in humility, I recognize that my thought life 
that my thought life has to be surrendered. And that every thought, every thought has to be examined. Everything that enters my mind, I have to, I have to examine it. Does this lead to obedience to Christ? That's the question. If you write things down, that's what you need to write down. Every thought, you need to ask yourself the question, if I entertain this, if I think about this, if I dwell on this, does it lead me closer to Jesus or does it lead me away from him? This thing that I'm imagining right now, does it lead me closer to Jesus or does it lead me away from him? Paul said, every thought I take it captive and the grid through which, the grid through which I think every thought, I examine every thought is, does it lead to obedience? Because if it doesn't lead to obedience, then obviously it is leading to disobedience and it is leading me away from God's best for my life. Take every thought captive so that I can obey Christ. And then he And then he deals with the issue there. He said, listen, I'm going to have the ability to deal with the people who are dealing with me harshly when I get there. I'm gonna, we're we're gonna deal with these behaviors, but it's going through the filter of the mind of Christ. But here's what I believe, Paul says. Here's what I believe. I believe that as you and I join together in a humble response to sabotage, as we take every thought and we filter it through the idea of does this lead us closer to Christ or away from Christ, what it's going to produce in us is complete obedience. It's going to produce in us maturity. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And just so that you understand, when he talks about uh, against the rulers and against the authorities in the original language, he wasn't talking about the rulers of the day militarily or politically. He was talking about the spiritual forces that exist, whether at a low level or at a global level, he was saying our fight, our fight isn't against people. Our fight is a spiritual fight. Romans chapter 12, verses one through three says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not think like the world. Do not respond to sabotage like the world. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How am I being obedient? What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? What is good, acceptable, and perfect is not determined by my flesh. It is not determined by the mind of this world. It is determined by the mind of God. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to him. We're going to talk tonight in the discipleship pathway course about how God has designed us and created us and the grace that he's given to each of us in that design and that creation. But wrapped up in all of that, 
regardless of the uniqueness of our design and how God created us, every one of us are called to have the mind of Christ Because we've surrendered ourselves in humility, we recognize that our enemy is not people, but that our enemy is the devil who hates us. And because we've recognized that we have an enemy who hates us, we can allow God to renew within us our minds so that our response to sabotage isn't according to our flesh. It isn't bowing up because we think that's the right way to do it. But through wisdom, we know how to respond when sabotage comes knocking at our door.